short term, the path of the economy depends entirely on the path of the virus. And as Dr. Fauci has told us, that's a moving target. And because the virus is a moving target, so is uh, the economy. There's no way we can know when we will get to the point where the virus has been contained enough that it's no longer an impediment to economic activity. The, best, the more useful thing to do is to say, once we reach that point where we've contained that, the virus and it's pushed out of the way of the normal functioning of our economy, as you, as you indicated, what will that recovery path look like? Connect. Influence. Optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to the Channel Channel. My name is Dale Ford, and I am the host for this session of the Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, ECIA. Uh, covering topics that are important for participants in the electronic component supply chain. I'm pleased to be joined today by Cliff Waldman. Cliff has uh, agreed to join us today to discuss uh, the important uh, perspective of the economy as we uh, battle through the current COVID-19 slash coronavirus crisis. During his extensive career as a Washington, D.C. economist, Cliff, the New World Economic CEO, has been an active and in-demand public speaker on topics ranging from the U.S. and global economic outlooks to new markets, productivity, and automation. He's the host of his own podcast on Manufacturing Talk Radio's Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, which is now in its second year and enjoying a growing audience, both inside and outside the U.S. He also hosts a new talk show for talk radio, Quick Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. From 2003 to 2018, Cliff served as the Senior Economist and Chief Economist of the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation. He has spent the past 17 years writing and speaking on the global economic picture as well as a range of issues that impact the manufacturing sector, specifically uh, productivity, demographics, and emerging markets. Cliff's won three national research awards and is currently conducting research on the structural challenges in U.S. manufacturing. Finally, Cliff currently serves as the chairman of the board of the National Economist Club following his term as the president in 2019. So welcome, Cliff. Thank you, Dale. It's a pleasure to be here. So. As a tradition on our podcast, we always begin by presenting an initial question to our guests. And the question is, we ask you to share, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is um, unique. I, I like that word very much, both, both in terms of its sound and its meaning. Ah. Very good. So, so you bring more of a poetic ang angle to it as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. So as we look at the economy overall, um, we know that 
economists have changed their outlooks quite significantly over the past month. Uh, one of those economists at IHS Market, uh, uh, Nariman Barabish, he, he recently released an economic forecast for 2020. And they're now predicting that we will fall into a global recession this year with GDP growth at only 0.7% globally, which is below the 2% the threshold that defines a recession. Even worse, they forecast that the U.S. will fall into a recession in the second quarter and the GDP this year will fall by 0.2%, a negative 0.2%. So they assume that the number of active world cases, coronavirus cases will pop out in the third quarter, but they expect a U-shaped recovery rather than a V-shaped cycle, which we would hope for, as they see a, a sharp reduction in near-term growth, followed by a slow recovery. So that's one economist's outlook. Uh, uh, what's your view on how the economy will perform this year and beyond? Well, the challenge for economic forecasting for this year, either inside the United States or, or anywhere else in the world, is that short term, the path of the economy depends entirely on the path of the virus. And as Dr. Fauci has told us, that's a moving target. And because the virus is a moving target, so is uh, the economy. There's no way we can know when we will get to the point where the virus has been contained enough that it's no longer an impediment to economic activity. The, best, the more useful thing to do is to say, once we reach that point where we've contained that, the virus and it's pushed out of the way of the normal functioning of our economy, as you, as you indicated, what will that recovery path look like? Now, the trouble here is that too depends on when the virus is contained because frankly, my big fear is that the longer this goes on, the more damage that's going to be done, the more bankruptcies we're going to have, the more dislocations we're going to have, the more challenges to financial and systemic stability that we're going to have. So the longer this goes on, the more of a chance that we're going to have a slow and kind of plotting recovery, somewhat similar to uh, what we had coming out of uh, the, the financial crisis and the Great Recession. Um, Whenever we do reach the point of optimal containment, as I'll call it for the virus, um, I do think some of the things that have been done, both with the, um, the legislation that we've had and the, the, the almost unprecedented things that the Federal Reserve has done, will kind of uh, keep the floor steady for us to allow us to recover in something of an orderly fashion, but I can't tell you how long it's gonna be before the virus is out of the way, and the longer, the worse it is for the, um, the, the path of recovery. Interesting, so <clears throat> as you note, you know, you have the Federal Reserve involved. In addition to the Fed actions, of course, uh, last week we had this $2.2 trillion stimulus package passed by Congress. Will that be enough, or do you think Congress is going to have to take additional steps to to enable some type of a, a reasonable recovery? Well, the $2.2 trillion legislation was, was desperately needed and very welcome. It's a little bit misnamed. It's not a stimulus legislation. It's not going to stimulate anything. What it is, is it's a play, it's a play in systemic stability. 
it's gonna it, it's an effort that and I think a good one to try to minimize the number of small business bankruptcies to allow as many small businesses to stay in in um in business as, as possible until we get to the other end of that. It's going to minimize, um, you know, defaults on mortgages. It's going to minimize, um, you know, people not being able to pay their rent. So really the purpose of that legislation is not so much stimulus. It's not going to, it's not going to stimulate the economy. It's going to keep stability in play until we, you know, until we get to the other end of this nightmare with this virus. Um, I, I do think we are going to need more. I think everybody, I, and I think we're going to get more because, it, you know, in terms of, of just the humanitarian aspects of this, um, again, depending on how long we are in this position with a, a virus inhibiting the economy, there are, there are so many people who are going to be in such trouble, who can't pay their rent, who are going to have problems putting food on the table. So, yes. I, I we it, it it was a good piece of legislation. Its aim is to keep stability in the economy, not so much to stimulate it. And yes, we will need more in a few months, and I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to get more. You know, you, you mentioned small businesses, and that that brings up a, a concern that that I've thought about. You know, we we talked about how it was critical that this legislation move quickly. And one of the things is you look very much, you know, you look at the structure of the manufacturing industry and, and you know, some of these businesses are going to be large businesses that um, will, will get help uh, through that channel. But maybe your sense of how many of the, of the businesses would be small businesses, kind of what percent that represents in manufacturing? Because my concern is just as we talk about hospitals being overwhelmed, by the number of cases, this is going to be administered through the Small Business Administration. I don't think they are anywhere close to being prepared for the massive influx of applications they're going to get for loans. So even though the Congress moves quickly, I'm concerned that the help still will not go out on a timely basis to all these small businesses. Yeah, well, uh, sorry, uh, but in, in manufacturing, like oh, every other sector of the economy, the lion's share um, have you know have le less than a hundred employees? So like every other, you know, we talk, we think about manufacturing as being a large business sector because we're the, we're the most globalized sector, and the truly global um, players are the larger ones. But you know, in this in the crucial supply chains, they're mostly smaller businesses, uh, many with under fifty employees. So yes, there um, that plus the fact that you know eighty five percent of of the infrastructure of the economy. Uh, is small businesses are, are making your statement all the more true, plus the fact, in addition to that, we have a tendency in this country to undercount small businesses. And that, that, that's going to be an interesting um, and then probably difficult aspect of all this. We, we, don't, we don't really have as good an idea of how many small businesses there are out there. Because it's been shown by research, now we've done decades ago, but I think it's still very relevant that there, there's, you know, there's a lot of home-based small businesses that were started in the 1990s in somebody's basement. That was becoming a more common practice and then probably grew over time. And what happens is, is that people tend to, to vacillate between running the small businesses in their, their business in their basement and a job. So there are more small business assets out there 
then then people tend to realize. I mean, it's, it's a good thing in one way because it gives people a cushion when they, you know, at times like this when jobs are troublesome, very troublesome. But it, at another time, in another way, with, with the applications that SBA is going to get for all this, the avalanche may be uh, bigger than uh, you think it is. I, I do think that it, it's it's going to be handled pretty well. I think it's probably, my guess is that it's probably going to take a longer time to get this out to them. Remember, some of this is going through the Federal Reserve, too, so which, which is going to hasten the, um, you know, the availability of funds. So the Fed's playing a part in, uh, in some of this. So I, I think what, what we're going to be watching for, what I'm going to be watching for in the coming weeks, is how the, this legislation is going to be affected for small business, what role the Fed's going to be, how the money is, is going to get quickly to um, small business, because it's not all just the SBA processing loans. I, I believe, and we'll see as it goes along, that the Fed is going to play a role here, which might make things a little better than you're thinking. Well, I hope so. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that the, 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 the situation in this space, you know, the, the maker uh, community, uh, we know that a lot of the activities and work that's done by distributors and players is in support of this maker community, those, the, the group that you're referring to, and, and maybe using that to shift a little bit. So we talked the economy overall. What's your, your perspective on how manufacturers, especially players in electronic systems and components realm, are going to be impacted during this, this period? Let's start with manufacturing. Um, two things about manufacturing. First of all, the interesting thing in this crisis about manufacturing is that manufacturing uh, was the first um, sector of the economy to feel the impact of the coronavirus because man u.s manufacturers felt it when it wasn't in the u.s it was we felt it when it was in china now um increasing number of um, of u.s manufacturing industries have china-centric supply chain so before the first case came to the united states we were feeling the impact of disrupted supply chains um, from China, and then that, you know, in certain industries, that had a, a, a significant impact. That, so that's, that's the first thing about um, manufacturing. And the second thing about manufacturing is that it just tends to respond to the, the overall growth as a whole. And with growth, you know, having, being probably well into negative territory at the moment, as we speak, that, that's just going to, you know, uh, hurt manufacturing, um, generally speaking. So, you know, the manufacturers got a uh, sort of a head start on the trouble here because we we were feeling it. Our, our sector was feeling it while it was in China before we even had the first case in the U.S. But now and now it's getting hit all the more because it just responds generally to, to broad economic demand. Now, electronics is an interesting one. It's a very a number of very China-centric centric supply chains. So they uh, try to set for supply chains a number of, so that means two things. They felt especially the disruptions from um, China. Now, China is looking like it's trying to get back online here again. Uh, that remains to be seen. They're, they're somewhat troubled now by imported cases of the coronavirus. And uh, second of all, uh, with electronics, you know, they, they, they were very much at the center of the trade battle. The trade battle is, you know, we're still feeling somewhat the residual effects of, of the trade battle. In terms of which areas of um, electronic, of the electronic supply chain, electronics industry are going to be most affected, the first thing that would pop into my mind is consumer electronics, because the, you're going to get very 
you're going to have difficult and mixed signals from consumer demand. Obviously, we're in we're right now in a, in a terrible downturn. The consumer is hurting badly. Um, but so that, that that's one thing that's going to hurt electronic demand. But at the same time, you know, in certain industries, the move now, the accelerated move, and and the setting up of a home office, which is you know is, is getting more and more of an air of permanence, is probably going to help electronics demand but you know over the short term so consumer home i'm not even going to call it consumer electronics anymore the home-based electronics are probably the part of the electronic supply chain that as a result of all the set of circumstances we're dealing with is probably the most in upheaval that's my guess yeah yeah if you look at the near term it's interesting i think in the near term it gets hurt the most but now it's as I, I guess the realization of how important it is to, uh, to um, I guess, to say in a, in a protective sense, how important the home-based electronics are, not just for entertainment, but for home productivity, distance learning, and other activities. In the long run, it could be a long-term stimulus there. It could be. That's, I mean, that's one of the things, uh, uh, the, uh, the electronics industry it would do very well to, to pay very close attention to what happens whenever we do get to the point of a recovery because you may see the structure of demand changing in interesting ways. Yeah. You know, you, you, you talk about how manufacturing felt this earlier because we started feeling it in our supply chains while it was still concentrated in China. On the back end, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can do to battle this in the U.S., but this is going to have to be a, a global battle. Any oh, yeah. thoughts on, you know, given that we rely on a, a global network, how, how much do you think this will elongate, I guess, the recovery process, given that we may, you know, start getting on top of this in the U.S. before they start uh, getting uh, things under control in other critical economy. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, unfortunately, I, I wish I could say that I agree with that, but unfortunately it doesn't look like the, you know, uh, the, the, the U.S. Is, is getting our coronavirus situation under control any better than, than anywhere else. I, 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 I hope I'm proven wrong on that, but it's for the, the global nature of this in manufacturing. I mean, it, you know, U.S. manufacturing has is selling an increase as a whole. It's selling an increasing share of its output overseas. So it, it's a two-sided coin. If, if you know we do see um, faster, you know, fast recoveries um, outside of the U.S. while the U.S. is still languishing, that'll give a slight leg up to a U.S. manufacturing recovery because we depend so much more on the rest of the world than the rest of the economy does. But if, you know, the, the situation in Europe remains difficult, if China disappoints us as far as coming online, if, if things start to spread, and, you know, we haven't heard much about Mexico, by the way, and, and that, that remains a bit of a mystery, and I don't know why, but if, if Mexico starts having difficulties with the coronavirus, then, then manufacturing may be sort of last out of the gate in terms of recovery. So it, it, it could be a, our, our global ties, the fact that we are a manufacturing is a globalized sector, uh, get moving on, on the, 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 you know, the narrow recovery that we're going to have coming out whenever we come out of this 
it, it's either going to be a blessing or a curse. And that, again, it depends on the, I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it depends on the path of the virus outside of the U.S. now, and nobody can make that call. Yeah, I think it becomes even more difficult outside the U.S. because just the ability of, of different governments and the willingness of different governments to provide transparency is, is the real question mark. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, coming to uh, trade, you know, we already went through a very difficult year in 2019 between especially the U.S. and China in terms of trade with the tariffs and the, the, the trade battle there that took place. And now there's specific moves to make the U.S. less reliant on China for critical infrastructure, medical supplies, medications, raw materials, uh, like rare earth minerals, etc. How do you think that this experience is going to change the electronic supply chain and the relationship between the U.S. and China in the future? Well, it's going to change in both public and private ways. We we need first of all, just for national security reasons. You know, I I think we've suddenly woken up to the to the fact that you know the, the fact that many people knew that manufacturing has a national security implication to it. We we have got to change the pharmaceuticals picture. That's been crazy for a long time, and now I hope we're seeing it. We cannot keep depending on China for so many of our antibiotics particularly with an aging population and, and, and with, with, you know, uh, environmental-related uh, issues. We simply cannot be so crucially dependent on, on China for, um, for antibiotics. And, we get, you know, we innovate, you know, as, as we're seeing now, we're seeing some wonderful companies stepping up, Eli Lilly, with the possibility not, not only of vaccines, which is all the more we need, but with protocols, with, you know, hydrochloroquine and uh, zithromycin, which um, a lot of allergy sufferers will know as is, is it, it It's demonstrative of the fact of how innovative the, the U.S. is in the pharmaceuticals area. But for some reason, we innovate in pharmaceuticals and then we give away the production overseas and we become dependent on them selling us the very you know, very much uh, what we innovated. That has just got to change. Now, as far as electronics, you know, I have to want, when talking about electronics, obviously great impacts from, you know, the current crisis, but that, that too is, is a very big trade area. And I think even without the coronavirus crisis, I think the trade battle with China is, is, is going to exacerbate a, a more diversified supply base for uh, electronics in East Asia. I think Vietnam is, is coming up as a possibility to large country. Um, I, I think uh, Malaysia. I, I, I think I think even within the NAFTA region, well, the, the soon-to-be uh, you know USMCA 2.0 region, I, I think, you know, a diversification of the supply chain and the supply base um, is, is going to uh, continue, but uh, as a result of the trade war, but now all the more so because of this, of this once a century crisis that we're having with this virus. Do you, do you think that we'll see a significant onshoring of electronics production and both systems and components uh, you know, you know that's that's kind of an interesting question, only because it goes to a hairline study of of behavior. You right now in the middle of a horrifying situation. 
a situation where we had to disable the economy to save lives and something we never thought we would, would deal with. And, and we're, uh, you know, you would say, yes, you would say, of course, we don't want anything to do with the, you know, the regions of the world. We, we want to, we want to onshore our electronics uh, supply chain, but frankly, you know, we get a year or two past this and it be, just becomes, frankly, a bad memory and maybe we get a vaccine and all, all the good things um, can happen. And, the, you know, the economic incentives for having a globalized supply chain of electronics are not going to go away. The, the cost savings, the rising of middle class populations, not just in China, but in uh, other parts of East Asia, the, um, you know, the, the, the new trade arrangements in the, in the heretofore NAFTA area. It's, you know, right now, everybody would be tempted to say, absolutely, we want to onshore all our electronics. The heck with this. But again, a year, two years from now, this just this episode just becomes a very painful memory. And I think the economic incentives for globalizing the supply, you know, the electronic supply chain with some diversification away from China, with some diversification away from China are going to remain. OK, OK, good, good. Excellent. Any any concluding thoughts or observations you'd like to make before we wrap up our business, folks? I, 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 you know, I, we never thought that we would be in a situation. This was an unimaginable situation um, prior to this, where, as I said, we have to disable a large part of our economy for the right reasons, for absolutely the right reasons to save lives. So, and my, my counsel to people is, is that while we should use history to inform us of what to do, to inform us of the path that might take things, might, you know, that things might take, the uniqueness, to bring back my favorite word, the uniqueness of this situation has to be recognized. And we have to realize while we're trying to figure all this out and what's going to happen in the next six months, we have to realize that while history is there, it's, it's less of a guide to this period of time than it's ever been in, in any of our lifetimes. And that, that's my last word. Great. Well, thank you, Cliff. I very much appreciate the time you've taken to visit with me today. For those listening to the podcast, I'm happy to tell you that Cliff has been uh, kind enough to uh, accept our request to talk with us again in the future. So this isn't the last time that you'll hear from Cliff as we continue to work with him on our coverage of uh, critical issues in the uh, manufacturing economy. We will continue to share uh, updates on our podcast and other resources as we cover the ongoing crisis with this pandemic, and those will be posted to our website. So with that, we'll conclude our podcast today of the Channel Channel. Thank you.